0: You're listening to Redemption City Church. For more information, check us out at redemptioncitychurch.com. Philippians 3. If you have a Bible, uh, please turn on your Bible to Philippians 3. That's the text that we're going to be working through uh, this morning. Philippians chapter 3. (laughs) <laughs> a couple Sundays ago, um, I took uh, my middle daughter, Hannah, who's 20. Uh, uh, her and I went to go and watch Jim Gaffigan, the stand-up, uh, stand-up comedian. He was doing a show at uh, the iconic Chicago Theater. And uh, her and I went a couple Sundays ago, and um, it was our first stand-up experience, live stand-up experience, and we absolutely, absolutely loved it. It reminded me a little of another first that I enjoyed with my daughter Hannah a few years before that, and that was the first time that I went with her to the Lyric Opera to go and watch uh, Mozart's The Magic Flute. Um, I realized very quickly that the experience at the opera and the experience at Jim Gaffigan was, let's just say, very, very different. Uh, the, the opera was a lot more sophisticated. Uh, if you look at, the, at at the dress alone, I mean, some people... A couple Sundays ago at the Jim Gaffigan stand-up thing, looked like they had just woken up from a nap on the sofa and decided to come to the, you know, to, like, to the theater. But at the Lyric Opera, it was completely different. I remember being very anxious and very concerned about what I was going to wear. You know, I knew enough, it was my first time at the opera, I knew enough that because it was an opening night at the opera, I didn't have to wear a tuxedo. But, uh, but I didn't know what to wear. I mean, I went online and I, and I researched about what it, what it was that I had to wear to, to the opera. Just a little aside, if, if you don't know me, I have, a, I have a very loud inner critic that is constantly berating me about things needing to be perfect. And that was the challenge that I was facing when it came to trying to find the right outfit to wear. I drive my wife insane some, some Sunday mornings, especially, there's a pile of clothes you know, this doesn't look right, and this doesn't look right, and eventually I settle on what to wear. So just imagine my pain, imagine my stress trying to figure out what on earth I was going to wear to the Lyric Opera. You know, do I, do I wear button down with a button-down with a nice sweater? Do I wear a sports coat? Do I maybe dress down a suit a little bit, you know, suit without a tie? Um, so chose my outfit, and off we go. And the, the, the reason why I was stressing so much about what to wear wasn't just to silence the inner critic in my head, but there was some, there was some need to, to present a resume, uh, as it were, to the opera-going crowd in order for me to feel accepted by them. I wanted to walk into the opera and know that I was accepted by the in-opera-going crowd. Good news, within minutes of arriving at the opera and surveying the lobby, I realized I had been accepted. Because I totally nailed my outfit. I mean, it was a it was a suit without a tie, button down shirt. I looked I looked fancier than most, but I didn't look pretentiously fancy, if you know what I'm trying to say. And this oh, I looked sick. The the sad thing is, within moments, because I felt so accepted, within moments I was surveying the room. And I noticed one or two people who had chosen to wear jeans to the opera. And I gave them that kind of pretentious look like, do you realize what you, I mean, have you never been to the opera before? You know, you know that you're not meant to wear jeans. This whole idea of presenting a resume, this whole idea of presenting a list of credentials in order to be accepted is actually something that happens all the time. And it's been going on since the beginning of time. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 2, That uh, before Adam and Eve rebelled against God, it says in Genesis 2 that they were both naked and they felt no shame. Before Adam and Eve chose self-reliance over God-reliance, they weren't controlling what each other saw or what God saw of themselves. But we know that there came a time when Adam and Eve chose to trust in themselves over trusting in God. And when they did that, the intimacy that they enjoyed with God the intimacy that they enjoyed with each other was lost and they, they tried their best to, to cover their shame and to cover their nakedness in order to try and win back the, the favor and the closeness and the intimacy that they once enjoyed with God. And I want to suggest, friends, that we are actually no different to our first parents. We are constantly trying to to offer up a resume, trying to offer up a, a list of our strengths while we minimize our weaknesses in the hope that God would accept us, in the hope that each other would accept us, and in some cases, in the hope that we would accept ourselves. Sometimes we feel that that resume needs to include something like success, and so it drives some of us to work 80, 90 hours a week. Sometimes we feel that that resume needs to include something of, of, of close, unbroken friendship. And, and in order to not offend anyone, we refuse or have that inability to say no to anyone. Sometimes we're afraid that we're going to gain a few extra pounds. And so we're constantly living from health, health diet to diet and exercise to exercise because we want to be accepted on the back of how we look. And by using those examples, can I say I'm not calling on anyone out I'm actually using three examples that I've struggled with most of my life. Those things that we add to our resume in the hope that someone is going to accept us. There's nothing wrong with healthy living, nothing wrong with whole relationships, nothing wrong with working hard. But when those things become the resume, become the reason that we think people can accept us or God accepts us, that's when it becomes unhelpful. Today, what I, I want to speak to you about is our struggle with righteousness, our struggle with righteousness. Now, right off the bat, you might be thinking, what are you talking about? Struggle with righteousness. Struggle with, with this idea of, of finding right standing before God. Surely it's sin that we struggle with. And I think everyone here, whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, you would agree that sin, falling short of what God uh, wants of us, sin is the thing that separates us from God. And I would say, yes, it is. But I want to put an idea before you today that our struggle with righteousness is just as dangerous righteousness is our greatest need it's also our greatest problem but the good news today is that righteousness is God's greatest gift to us and we're going to learn about righteousness in the context of Paul unpacking this beautiful text in Philippians chapter 3 where Paul is teaching about worship and when I say worship, I'm not just meaning the songs that we sing sometimes, but I'm meaning a life that constantly and continually offers up glory and praise to the Lord. And we're going to learn three things in particular. Worship is where we find our joy. Worship is where we place our confidence. And worship is where we find our hope. So with that in mind, let's jump into the text. Uh, starting Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Paul starts further. Some, some translations say, finally, finally. He's not landing his text. He's not landing his letter. He's only halfway through. I know TK does that often. I remember 25 years ago walking into a church and TK after 10 minutes said finally, and he still preached for another 25 minutes after that. That's not what Paul is doing here. Your first finally, exactly. He says, further, furthermore, additionally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's not, it, it is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Those dogs, those, those evildoers that Paul is referring to was this, was this sect of Jewish converts who, who, who were constantly undermining Paul's preaching of the reality of grace and nothing but grace is what gains us access into the presence of the Father. And constantly, and time and time again, this, this Jewish sect was saying, well, to find true maturity in God, it's Jesus plus a few little additional extras. It's Jesus plus celebrating certain, certain days, or, or Jesus plus doing certain things, or their absolute favorite was, it's Jesus plus circumcision, and Paul, time and time again, is, 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 is uh, his teaching is, con- is this constant reminder of the fact that whenever we try to add anything to grace, we're actually subtracting from its power. Grace plus nothing, Jesus plus nothing, Jesus minus nothing. That's the undiluted power of the gospel of the kingdom of God. And that's why Paul starts off in in verse 1 where he says, rejoice in the Lord. He's saying when you focus and fix your eyes on Jesus, when you celebrate the fact that Jesus alone is what gains us access into the presence of the Father, then any other religious addition that people try to place on you, you will realize falls by the wayside we cannot forget we cannot uh, ignore passages of the of, of scripture that say to us enter his gates with thanksgiving and praise jesus plus nothing i remember when i first got saved someone told me and this stuck with me for years it was it was it was well meaning but it was it was quite hurt it was quite damaging they said to me you know because you are newly saved you need to understand that the best way to approach god is to start your devotions With repentance. Spend time asking God for for forgiveness for the things you did so that you can clear the way to gain access to his presence, which makes, you know, some sense. The problem with that, though, I, I would start to ask God for forgiveness for that and forgiveness for that and forgiveness for that. And then I would sit wondering for 10 minutes, have I remembered everything that I need to ask for forgiveness for? And I never felt encouraged. But the Bible says we enter his gates with thanksgiving. When we come into his presence by just, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for who you are, that you are seated on the throne. Thank you for the church that I'm a part of. Before we realize, we look back and we've gained access into the presence of God simply off the back of his grace. That's why Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. The first point we must remember is worship is about where we find our joy. But secondly, what Paul helps us understand is worship is also where we place our confidence. It's where we find our righteousness. It's where we find that right standing before God that each of us are absolutely looking for. And as I said, uh, I, think, I think I said, yeah, I, I did say this, uh, righteousness is our greatest need. It's also our greatest problem, but it's God's greatest gift righteousness is our greatest need because it's the way we find access into the presence of God it's our greatest need because it gets us in whether it's into God's presence or whether it's in with the friendship circle that we are constantly looking for look at verse 3 Paul carries on for it is we who are the circumcision Paul's stressing this point that it's not through some external kind of adherence to the law but it's a circumcision of the heart. It's, a, it, it, it's the kingdom of God taking root within us that begins to manifest itself outwardly. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, we who boast or glory in Christ Jesus, and we who put no confidence in the flesh. Verse four, though I myself have, have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day. This, Paul was termed an eighth dayer. The eighth dayers were, were the, the, the Jews who followed the Old Testament circumcision laws perfectly. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, he was, he was racially pure. A Hebrew of Hebrews, he was culturally pure in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. What Paul is, is saying is that he is, a, he is the rule keeper of rule keepers. And that's why he was so zealous at persecuting anyone, and particularly the church, who would suggest that rule keeping could be set aside. But essentially what Paul is doing is he's presenting his credentials. He's, he's presenting his list of merits. He's presenting his resume that he used to trust in in order to gain or think he could gain access into God's presence. Now let's take a moment and make this real practical. Think of what a resume is. I'm pretty sure almost everyone in this room at some point in your life has, has put together a, or, or padded a, a list of your achievements a list of your strengths, things that you've done well, and you've, you've, you've very conveniently forgotten about your weaknesses. You've, you've kind of managed to overlook those weaknesses, and you've, you've put together this resume that you use for various things. To get into college, to get into grad school, to land the perfect job that you're hoping to land. But I want to suggest, friends, that that this idea of presenting and, and listing out or padding this resume happens all the time. We use it when we're trying to make new friends. We use it when we're hoping to secure the second date that we are trying to secure. It's what I use when I try to go to the opera because I wanted to be accepted by the in crowd. It's something that we use constantly all the time. And it's not surprising, therefore, that we do the same with God. We come into the presence of God thinking that He's wanting some list of achievements or successes in order for us to be accepted by Him. But He has the biggest problem with using a resume. We always left wondering, is it enough? When I submit my resume for a job, when I submit a resume to get into college, I'm always left wondering, I wonder if I've done enough. And the same happens when we try to base our, our uh, acceptance by the Father on the back of a list of achievements. We're always left with this nagging question, have I done enough? There have been times over the last 15 years where, as, a, as most churches do, in fact as all churches do, we've gone through difficult times times of difficulty and hardship and struggle. And I find those times tend to really unsettle me. Debs doesn't love the church any less than I do. But she finds the, the grace and the strength in God to come to me and to say, babe, we need to learn to trust in Jesus because he alone is building his church. But conversely, there are times over the last 22 years, our oldest daughter is 22, we've got 22, 20, and, and 13, as we've raised our children and they begin to misbehave or, or act a little selfishly, Debs will sit there and kind of plot out the trajectory of their life and see that as they continue this life, they're going to end up as absolute delinquents and not able to survive. And, and, and I don't love my kids any less, but I'm able to say to her, babe. We need to trust God. He is their first parent. The point I'm trying to make, friends, is this: is that I've allowed the success of the church to work its way into my spiritual resume, and Deb's has allowed the the the, the, the desire for her kids to be to be completely secure and settled to to work into her spiritual resume. Letitia Wright is um, the actress. The, the, she's a she's a British actress who who played Black Panther's sister in the movie, Black Panther. And she was interviewed recently um, uh, about the success of the movie. And listen to what she said. She said, I needed to take a break from acting because I had really begun to idolize it. So I left acting and I went on a journey to discover God and my relationship with him. And I became a Christian. He gave me such love and light within myself. I felt secure, like I didn't need validation from anyone else, from my career, from getting a part. My happiness wasn't dependent on that. It was dependent on my relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, constantly we are faced with the temptation of where are we going to find our our confidence? What are we going to put our trust in? How are we going to use a resume to gain acceptance? For Paul, it was his religious pedigree. For Letitia, right, it was acting. For me, it's a successful church. For Debs, it's being there for her children constantly. What is it for you? What is that thing? Or what are those things that you try to rely on in order to gain access or acceptance by God or by others? Or by yourself. That's why I say righteousness is not just our greatest need, but it is also our greatest problem. But the good news is, it's also God's greatest gift. Look at verse 7, 8 and 9. But whatever were, my, whatever we're gains to me, Paul says, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. Literally in the Greek, it's dog poop. I consider them dog poop, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God, on the basis of faith. What Paul is saying is, is Paul has seen a righteousness. Paul has seen a gift of God that is far greater than the righteousness he once used to trust in. And, and friends, if you, if you grab hold of one point this morning, this is the point that I want you to grab hold of. As great as the righteousness is that Paul is speaking about, the gift is not righteousness itself. The gift is Jesus in whom righteousness is found. Look at verse seven. Paul says his gains are considered loss for the sake of righteousness. No, for the sake of Christ. Look at verse eight. Uh, Because of the surpassing worth of knowing righteousness. No, of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And then again in verse nine, so that I may be found in him. I'm reading through Revelation in my devotions and I've been camped out at chapter one, Revelation chapter one for the last 10, 12 days. And there's a a description that John gives of, of this vision that he has of Jesus. And it says in Revelation one that he saw Jesus with a face that was shining like the sun in all its brilliance. Do you remember those times when we were kids, when we would go outside and we'd look too long at the sun and it would burn this imprint of a, of the sun on the back of our retina and everything else that we looked at, all we could see was the sun? That's what happened to Paul. Paul has suddenly seen someone far greater than the righteousness he's trust, he used to trust in. He's seen Jesus. And so that when he looks at the, at, at the things he used to trust in, They pale into insignificance because he's seen someone far more glorious and far more magnificent. And I I love verse 9. Where does God find those who have received his gift of righteousness that is found in Christ Jesus? Does God find us padding out our resume and trying to make a list of ways that he can accept us? No. Look at verse 9. He founds us, or he should find us, in him. We need to understand this, friends, that if you are in Christ, you, are already, you already have the perfect and complete resume. You cannot add to it. You cannot take anything away from it. And if you are here today and you are not a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you, stop writing your resume for God. And receive the perfect resume that is found in Jesus Christ, His Son. Worship is where we find our joy. Worship is where we place our confidence. Lastly, as we bring this into land, worship is where I find my hope. Look at verse 10 and 11. I want to know Christ. Paul says in verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Let's go back to my opera story that I shared at the very beginning. What was the purpose? What was the reason for me wanting to be accepted, for me wanting to to dress up well? Was it just to be accepted? Well, partly. But the reason I, I, I went to the opera dressed up was because I wanted to enjoy the performance. You see, there was something far greater than just receiving quote unquote righteousness. There was the performance and seeing the actors uh, 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 and singers and and the incredible performance that was before me. And I want to say the same thing, friends, when it comes to this. Righteousness, as I said earlier, is not the goal. As significant and great as righteousness is, Jesus is whom we should be chasing after. I was never a sprinter, but I was told growing up from a friend of mine who was a sprinter that sprinters are taught not to run at the tape. They told to run 10 yards beyond the tape. And I want to say, friends, righteousness is the tape. But we don't run to the tape, we run beyond the tape to Jesus Christ who was waiting for us. The very first time I took my son, Cade, when he was about seven years old, to the Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago, it's an incredible museum. We arrived and we got to the lobby and the lobby is quite, it's quite magnificent. High posters of dinosaurs off to the other end, this silver bullet train. There's a, there's a, there's a gift shop and Caden runs into the lobby and he sees the dinosaur posters and he's like, wow, he spends 10 minutes looking there, runs to the bullet train, fascinated by the bullet train, goes to the gift shop for half an hour. He comes out, he goes, dad, thanks for taking me to this uh, uh, museum. And I'm like, buddy, we've only just been in the lobby. We haven't got to the museum yet. And I want to say, friends, that's what some of us are like. We've got this incredible gift of righteousness, but that's not the point. The point is not the lobby. The point is the museum to explore. Jesus is the one that we get to enjoy and explore. It's not just the incredible gift of righteousness that God has given us. Moses cried out, Lord, you've shown me your, your face, now show me your, you've you shown me your presence, now show me your glory. Could I say that we need to cry, God, you've shown us your righteousness, now we want to see Jesus. We want to see the fullness of who Jesus is. Where is your hope? Is your hope in an inheritance that your family might leave for you? Or in an internal inheritance that is found in heaven? Is your hope in the treasures on earth that spoil or treasures in heaven that will never spoil or fade? Is your hope for retirement for the last two decades of your life? or for the resurrection for eternity. And all of those are found in Jesus. Jesus is where I find the fullness of joy. Jesus is the one in whom I place my confidence in. Jesus is the reason for the hope that I have. And the, and the great gift of righteousness that God gives us is in fact the gift of, of his son Jesus in whom righteousness is found. Last verse, verse 12. Paul ends off this little section by saying this, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me for probably 40 years. Well, I haven't been saved for 40 years. I've been saved since I was 20. So for probably 20 years, I thought that that was about a calling or a purpose or a task that God had called me to. In other words, in my case, I press on to take hold of the call of leadership that God has taken hold of me for. Can I suggest that Jesus did not give his life for a task that I would perform for him? Jesus gave his life, that you and I would have intimate relationship with him. So the that that Paul is referring to in verse 12, I press on to take hold of that, is intimate relationship with Jesus. If you are here today, whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, I want to encourage you, as much as I encourage myself, we need to stop padding our resume in the hope that we can do enough. For God, Jesus is the perfect resume that God has given us and for us to receive. Put down that self-effort and the wondering and the questions about are we doing enough to be, be accepted by God. For us to press on, take hold of that for which God has taken hold of each of us for. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the amazing gift of your son, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you this morning that you were obedient to the cross, that you were willing to surrender everything, your life, you gave it all so that we might have life in you. Father, I thank you for those of us here who, are, who, who, who know you, who have received the gift of Jesus. I thank you, Lord God, that we are, we are accepted off the back of your favored son and your favored son only. There's nothing that we can do. We acknowledge that, Lord God, and we thank you this morning. We thank you for that perfect gift. Father, I pray if anyone is here today who does not know you as Lord and Savior, I pray, Father, for a revelation that, That the eyes of their heart would be opened to the incredible gift that you are, Jesus. Yes, the gift of righteousness. But Lord, so much more. The gift of you, yourself, given in absolute entirety and fullness. We love you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. You are our Lord, our King, our Savior, our friend. We glorify you. You are worthy of praise. May we settle this issue, Lord. May we settle this issue, Lord. Not trying to earn your favor, but stepping into your favor. Stepping in to all that you've prepared for us, taking hold, grabbing with both hands, wrestling to the ground that for which you've taken hold of us for. That beautiful relationship that we have with you. We love you. We worship you. Thank you, Lord.